Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey there. It's been a minute, hasn't it? I hope you're enjoying summer as much as possible. If you are down under on the other side of the equator, the sun is heading back your way, so you're welcome. A couple of things before we start. Great episode today, by the way. Everyone should listen to this one. But first, I want to remind you about my other podcast, the SDBN Buzz. I've been interviewing some really interesting people in the San Diego biotech community, including scientists working on treatments for covid commercial officers sending experiments up to the International Space Station and how that whole thing happens. It's, it's amazing. You need to hear that. And a couple of episodes related to stem cells and saving the northern white rhino from extinction. Also very cool. So check out the SDBN Buzz wherever you get your podcasts. And then, I know this is short notice, but tomorrow, Friday, July 31st, I'm participating in an event event called Reimagine Biopharma. I'm hosting an Ask the Expert session on podcasting for life science businesses, but there will also be speed networking, which is very fun if you haven't done it, because um, you get a five-minute timer, you get matched randomly with someone else who's... uh, in the session. It's all online, of course. And then, of course, there are also a lot of other smart people running sessions as well. I will put a link in the show notes for that. Now, let's jump into today's episode, shall we? Today, I'm speaking with Kelly Grover. She's the Director of Marketing Communications at Taconic Biosciences. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, today's topic is what is and what is not unique to life science marketing. And I know a lot of companies think about this all the time in many ways, (laughs) maybe rightly or wrongly. They say we're unique. We have to do things differently, but maybe not as much as they think. So just so people understand where you're coming from, describe Taconic briefly and who your customers are and your role there. Sure. So kicking things off with Taconic, we are a animal model company. So we supply the drug discovery industry with mouse and rat models to both discover and then test potential therapeutics. So we work with anybody that's involved with drug discovery. So that's pharmaceutical companies, biotechs, academic institutions, nonprofit institutions, uh, government agencies, and contract research organizations. So my role within Taconic is I'm the Director of Marketing Communications. So I lead our marketing department and all internal, external branding. So you and I have talked before and you told me this question of uniqueness comes up frequently in the conversations with your team. So explain the context where it comes up and then what are the concerns that people have about science marketing being unique or not? So it's not a simple answer, which is why it comes up so frequently. And I don't think it's a bad conversation. Just because we talk about something often doesn't mean it's a concern. I think it just is an indication that, yeah, this is complicated, right? And and we it's not a one-size-fits-all. We need to revisit it. We need to sometimes flex in one direction or the other, depending on the situation. But the things that tend to hold true for life science marketing are 
it's a technical sale, right? One thing that stands true, I think, for anybody in this industry, whether it's animal models or just general drug discovery, is there's a lot of education that needs to take place before you can even get to a value prop, right? Before you can even sell against your competitors. And I always use socks as just a very common kind of consumer good to compare it to. But using that kind of silly example, if you're a sock company, you don't need to educate people on what a sock is or how to use it. You can jump right into, here's our price, here's our value prop, whatever it is. For us, that's not always the case. We're launching new products, so we have to educate people on what this new product is gonna be. But even for existing products, a lot of times the devil's in the details and you have to establish a baseline understanding of some critical concepts before you can even tell people and have them understand your points of differentiation. So the reason why this is such a big deal in our conversations is the amount of content that we create to accomplish that goal is really quite impressive. And so the volume and the resources to create that obviously is something that we talk often about, but then also the messaging, because not everybody's going to read a 20-page white paper. Not everybody's going to listen to a 45-minute webinar. How do you go through those different top of funnel moments, right, from awareness all the way through decision-making, but still making sure that you've supplied people with this baseline information so that they understand. And that's where we get into a lot of these really interesting conversations around, well, we need to do good marketing, right? We need to still do the things that like BuzzFeed does or your Sunday flyer does or a commercial does. We need to capture people's attention, get them interested, get them excited, before we can then serve up some of that meatier, in-depth technical information. And so that is a lot of what we talk about here. And again, I think that holds true for any life science company. You make a good point about educating and no one needs to know what socks are for. I think sometimes because a lot of marketers in life sciences come from science and they are science, they assume that all their customers, it's called the curse of knowledge, know as much as they do. And they skip over and they minimize the value of that education and or maybe aren't thinking about the people who are just out, have slightly different scientific backgrounds, but are interested in doing something new. How can we help them, you know, do their work better? I think that education part is a big part. So the elements that are unique or at least not common to consumer marketing for you is certainly animals and we all have to deal with procurement and probably multiple stakeholders how do those influence your thinking on strategy and tactics i i think it actually dovetails with the thing that you just said with the different levels of scientific understanding we work with thousands of scientists, but it doesn't mean they all have the same area of expertise. I'm a marketing person, but that doesn't mean I know every facet of marketing. And though I think it is really easy to assume that because we talk about something for months and months ad nauseum, it's our area of expertise that you want to make that leap that everybody else has the same level. And that certainly isn't true. So even with someone who feels like a peer, we need to be mindful of not making that assumption. Then when you Um, extrapolate that into the different personas that you just described. And some of them might not be scientific. So procurement, VPs of research, veterinarians that are managing the labs where our animals would come into, they have a lot of different 
motivations and buying criteria, and they might not actually be aligned. And so when we come up with messaging, we really try to sit and think for a minute, who do we actually need to convince? Is it one person? Is it many? If it's many, how much of those motivations overlap? Where do they not? And if they don't overlap, how are we going to address that? And one of the things that we've tried to really put into practice is we do a messaging workshop leading up to a product launch, or if we know we want to do a campaign focused on a specific portfolio. And we use the same format each time, and it's it's very rudimentary. It's just a positioning statement and three to five key messages. But as simple as it is, that's actually why it is somewhat effective, right? Because it forces us to say, okay, we've got this limited real estate to make this impact. What is the actual thing we need people to know? And if we can nail that down, then everything else becomes that much easier because then you can add the detail after it. You can add all of the supporting charts and data points and all of those things, but it really holds our feet to the fire to boil it down to its most simplest explanation, the most powerful way of capturing something so that no matter what your level of expertise is, you can understand a positioning statement in three messages. And if you don't, then we've goofed it up right off the bat. <laughs> I know you and I talked about like we try to create modular messaging, but that's where it all starts from. If we can boil it down to something simpler, adding the details really easy. The problem is when you do the reverse, right? When you cannot boil it down, you've got a whiteboard full of disparate thoughts that seemingly might come together, but that is not what's going to get people to engage initially. So that is how we work to overcome some of these things. Yeah, the the everything is important challenge. Right, or just give us a call. We'll explain it to you. That's oh, yeah. not how it works. That's not how it works. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a great that's a great example. But so do you, can you give me an example for example of something you've done where you've got multiple stakeholders and you're trying to decide, all right, what's the positioning and how we're going to just briefly how we're going to talk to each of those separate groups? Sure. So I think we actually have two very dis different examples, and I think it's a good thing. So one of the things that Taconic has, it's called eTaconic, which is a password-protected customer portal where if you're working with us, we will house your project information on it and a lot of other value-add features. It's really fantastic. And so one of the messaging workshops that we went through was we wanted to really start promoting this tool. Is This is part of what makes us great, right? It isn't this thing that just floats in the background. And as we were going through that messaging workshop, it really came to light that depending on who you're speaking to, the value is quite different. And we thought about fighting against that to see if we could harmonize it, and it just didn't feel right. And so what we ended up doing for that is the messaging is by stakeholder, and it's very targeted and very specific. And it's a one-liner for each. If you're procurement, this is why you're going to love it. If you're a vet, this is why you're going to love it. And in that case, it really worked. It was still succinct, but it touched on each one of those stakeholders. We have other products where leading up to the launch, we're going through these same workshops, and it really comes out that this is probably not going to be used by everyone. And that's okay. If we know that 90% of our business is going to come from this one market segment or one persona, let's make the boldest statement possible to resonate with them rather than diluting our messaging on the hopes of capturing that other 10%. And again, really having that very simple formula, 
I think makes those conversations a heck of a lot easier. Because again, if you just had a whiteboard and you've got all of these people who are so passionate about their product saying all of these things, you do just naturally, right? You want to capture all that. You want people to know every little nook and cranny thing that makes it wonderful. But in the end, it's probably not going to get you where you need to be if you can create the right message that's going to resonate with even just that very specific market segment. If that's your target, then you've accomplished it. So I think those are good examples because we actually ended up in two very different places. But I think they were both the right places for those circumstances. Yeah, I really like that. And uh, it just crossed my mind. Of course, I've seen this all the time, but the healthcare world has to do this all the time. Pharma is what I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. If you go to any page for a new drug, there's for patients and there's for providers. Yeah. They always have two routes in, and I'm sure they have reasonably different messaging. I, I think maybe, and maybe part of that's legal. I don't know. But <laughs> nevertheless, they have to think about it two different ways all the time. And for payers, too. And they're really marketing to three constituencies. I think you covered my next question about prioritizing for multiple stakeholders. Is there anything more you want to say about that? I would say data helps. And I think that's a key part of at least where we are on this journey is it's really hard to purposely ignore anything, right? Like the business person in me wants to capture as much of that market as I can. The scientist in me is just as excited about sharing these details and the marketer in me knows that we need to have really bold messaging and it's hard to fight that. And so data to me is the ultimate tool that cuts through that emotion. And so we're really trying to work more and more by saying, okay, we've got this thing that we need to market whether it's an existing portfolio, a new product, whatever, before we even start down that path, what do we need to get out of this? Is this going to be just a me too, where it's just an incremental bump or it's a loss leader to support a different area of the business? There's no right or wrong answer, but that would lead us towards one very specific solution versus, hey, this is the next big thing, right? This is going to be the thing that supplies our entire growth for next year. Okay, that's a very different plan. And I think having that data makes it easier to say for the things that really don't necessitate that much resource to say that, you know what, guys, we're not writing a white paper for this one. We're not going to spend all this money on advertising. We don't need to. It, it's not going to get us where we need to be. Let's save that for this thing over here. Your question was about prioritizing. I think it's really, really hard to do that in the absence of data. And I say this, we're perfect at it. I promise you, we are not. That's why we have these conversations all the time. It's why we're constantly looking to refine our systems. But I would say that's probably the one very general comment to make that if you are not in a position where your systems are providing you that data, then I think no matter how good you are elsewhere, it's going to be an uphill battle to make those priorities. All I can think is I really would have liked to have been working with you when I was in a company. <laughs> so for me, it was a challenge just to get the marketing team to say, okay, these are our priorities. For example, like which of these products is going to be the most important this year? Which geographies are going to be the most important? As you say, is this a me too or is this a blockbuster? And where do we allocate our resources? Because I always had to figure out where's the budget going to go. And of course, everybody has their laundry list of things they want. And just the very fact that you are thinking about that and you guys have a plan for how to, I mean, forget that we weren't even thinking about data. It was what do we think might 
be true this year. Sure. You're very far ahead of where I was. Let's put it that way. Well, I think you're giving me a little bit too much credit, but like I say, it's a work in progress, but I think half the battle is people just having that same mindset, the spirit of what we're going after. The data will never be as perfect as we want it to be. It is not perfect in any company I've ever been at, but it doesn't mean you don't have that conversation. And I think that's what trips people up, right? They wait for the data to be more than just directional. They want it to be down to the dollar. And if you wait for that moment to start using it, you're going to be waiting forever because as soon as you settle into a system, something changes. And so that's where we are in this evolution there where we know what data can do. We know what it can't do yet. We use it where we can, where we can't. We talk about it and then make as educated of a decision as we can. So that's why, like I say, we're certainly not perfect, but I also don't think people should read into that there is a perfect out there because I don't think that's true either. Sure. So uh, when we talked before, you talked about great marketing being about psychology and behavior and information consumption. Give me some examples (laughs) where marketing of research models, which is what you're selling, Mm -hmm. is the same as something as simple as car parts, something I've been buying a lot of recently. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but it's a good question nonetheless. <laughs> so in car parts, I think is your socks, right? It's that really ubiquitous yeah. customer product. So it's a really good example. And I think it's really lovely to think that human behavior is human behavior, no matter what you're selling. I think there's a lot of great research out there that talks about B2B versus B2C. I think the more that things become digital, the clearer it is that those worlds actually, I think, come a lot closer together than they were in the past. So I think that's a trend just to keep in mind in general. I also think B2B is almost like a get out of jail free card, right? Because it, by definition, removes the person from the conversation, which is is crazy when you think about it because you're still selling to a person. They still have motivations. They might be quite different than yours as a consumer buying car parts, but they're there nonetheless. And so that's where I'm getting at with human psychology and how people behave and, and addressing their needs. That is the same across the board. And that's where I think some of these really fascinating conversations have come into play as we come up with these different marketing strategies, because we've done testing on email subject lines or blog post headings and BuzzFeed type headings sometimes work really well. And I think it's easy for us to say, well, We are very smart scientists with super technical information. People don't want something that looks like it could be found on BuzzFeed, but that's not the point, right? It's not that this looks like it could be something on BuzzFeed. It's that titles that break something down into a very digestible and clear piece of content are something that people consume more readily. And so it's the human behavior behind it, whether it's BuzzFeed or anybody else. And so a blog post that's the top three things you need to know about, that is consumed because people know, okay, I've got 10 minutes, I can read this blog post and get something really actionable. That is human behavior, whether you're buying car parts or animal models. So there definitely is a place for that. And we do keep that in mind. Where it becomes a little bit tricky, and I don't know if there is a solution for this, is Within a technical sale, certainly within this industry, we have a long tail of very specific questions or needs. And 
do we not address them because it's a long tail? I don't think that's the right answer. But when you look at how our con content is consumed, we do see that. So there are pieces of content that are just relevant to everybody, and those are the ones that are making the top 10 list month over month. But then we've got a very long, long tail of very specific pieces of content that address very specific questions, and it's being consumed. And for those people whose questions we are answering, it is a game changer. And so that I think is the balance that we really struggle with because we know both of them are successful, but when resources are finite, it's hard not to play into the top 10 with just a little bit of the long tail. But I would say that is where we struggle and hopefully that makes sense. I'll pause to, to see if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I, I, I like all of it. The BuzzFeed titles, even though as long as you're not being clickbaity and you're not delivering on the promise of the title, I think they're fine. Even people recognize that they might be, I don't want to say manipulated, but however you want to describe that feeling and they know it's happening, you cannot resist it when someone says the top three things because if nothing else, they want to know if what you think are the top three things are the same thing that they think. They want to know if they're right or not or if you're aligned and, or they don't know it all and they go, I better find out. And it, it's, it's good either way if you have a good article behind it. And then the long tail, if I understand you correctly, we're getting down to very specific questions that not everyone will have, but are very important to those people that have them. Exactly, and exactly. So, and uh, if you've got a scientist where this is their area of research, right, they're going to want that super in-depth. They're going to ask the question that only someone who's knee-deep in this is going to know and should we answer it, man, think about the credibility that we just built with that person. So we cannot dismiss it out of hand that we don't have to create in-depth content that's very targeted when it's necessitated. And we certainly do. And if we had unlimited resources, we would probably do more of it for just that reason. But that is the trade-off that we often talk about. Right. At some point, yeah, you have to spread your budget around all those things and figure out what's important. And and eventually, you're going to have to say, give us a call. Exactly. <laughs> and we'll, we'll answer the other questions. Yep. You got it. Well, this has been really fun and informative. I think it's a great conversation because I know in every company this comes up. When should we tailor to scientists and when should we tailor to humans? Kelly Grover, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. If people want to talk to you, can I give them your, or put a link to your LinkedIn profile on yeah, the show notes? Absolutely. I think we're connected on LinkedIn already, Chris, but feel free to add it as well. I'm going to put your information in the show notes. So if people have questions, maybe they got inspired and they want to ask you something or sure. just expand your network. That's what we're all about here. So, all right. Thank you once again. No problem. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I love Kelly's process for developing content for multiple stakeholders. I also appreciate the recognition that each piece of content has a different job to do and may have a different flavor. I think that's really important. Hey, if you're still listening, that means you either like this podcast or you went out for a snack and just came back. Either way, you probably know some people who would learn something from these interviews that will help them become better marketers. Can I ask you to please share it with them? I would very much appreciate it. I have some more episodes coming that cover new ground for this podcast. 
So stay tuned for those, and I will catch you back here soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>